sound and and um, and just you know just being I, I mean I just try to imagine how it must have felt just to be able to take a hot shower and to just breathe fresh air. Well, just think of the reunion with their loved ones. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is that is just something to even uh, mm-hmm. about. Well, anyway, uh, it goes to show again that people can cope with, I guess, anything if they have to or if they're, if they're able to. And here, but, but I guess we have to put things in perspective. We get annoyed with uh, things like when the Internet melts down, we feel frustrated. But I guess when you put it all in perspective, right? Yes. <laughs> you are so right. I mean, we get, you know, it's... Uh, you, when you it, it does frustrate when you when you're going online is it internet it says so when it says something like when, when the net uh, last week the net was down for some reason on a on a uh, on a weeknight and and I guess it was just so many people were using the net about a week ago on either Wednesday or Thursday we couldn't get connected and you, you the first thing you think is there's something wrong with the computer that you know after after the virus a couple of years ago you know you just the first thing you think is there's something wrong with the computer. Or when it when it's silent, even when you guys um, are on yesterday, hey Walden, and you're you're getting your CD or tape queued up, and it's silent for a minute, the first thing you think is, are we still connected? Is the station still on the air? It's a great way for me to get callers. Yes, yes. And I say, Walden, are you there? <laughs> are you there, or am I by myself again? <laughs> well, it's you know, and and you know, and again, it, it's. It, it's so reassuring, but but yet it, it goes to show again, at least at least people are listening and noticing it. It, it. If it was automated programming all the time, you might not even notice it as much. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's great to have. It, it is great to be online again and being able to hear hear uh, hear these things. Well, anyway, I hope both of you have a wonderful evening, and we thank you, and thanks for calling. First thing, have a good weekend, Walden. All right, Jim. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. There you go. Howdy doody do. I have one more piece of advertising that I would like to describe for you. All right. Are we ready? Sure. This is a Pennsylvania railroad from 1942. Advertise safety, speed, comfort, and courtesy. And they've got a graphic, and it's a graphic, it, it's a, a drawing, it's not a photograph of people in the dining car. And I mean, it looks like a fabulous restaurant. It's got an aisle that's about a half an acre wide, which you know doesn't happen in a train. But it, it's kind of interesting because they had the Broadway Limited, the General, the Admiral, and the Pennsylvanian. I went from New York to Philadelphia to Chicago. That's cool. Spirit of St. Louis went from New York to Philadelphia to St. Louis, Washington, Baltimore, St. Louis. Liberty Limited, Chicago, Baltimore, Washington, the Pittsburgher, New York and Pittsburgh. This is making sense until we get to this one. The last one on the list is the Golden Triangle, Pittsburgh to Chicago. Now, I think a triangle has three points, right? No, what's the third part? Maybe New York? No, this, <laughs> this is what's there. The Golden Triangle with Pittsburgh to Chicago. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh-huh. I like that. That's it. I like I'm that. I'm trying to make you laugh tonight, Walden. You're doing a good job. Well, I'm just trying to, 
I'm trying to drop a little ear goodie for you. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I was, I was so enthralled with the story there. I, 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 I didn't know what to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. What do you? Good answer, Walden. Oh. Good answer. <laughs> How about a little Orson Welles for you here? Okay. Here we go, everybody. The Song of Solomon. It's a love poem. The most intoxicatingly beautiful I know in all literature. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the Tower of David builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men, until the day break and the shadows flee away. I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Much better is thy love than wine. Thy lips, O oh my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue. Thou art beautiful, O oh my love, as Tirsa, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy is cruel as the grave. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it.
turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Orson Welles there. Orson Welles? Yeah. I'm not into soliloquies. Oh, wow. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. I figured we showed a broad range of Orson Welles. Poor Walden. What a disappointment. No. No, I just, I figured it was fun to find a short little clip. That was a long, long clip. I know. Long enough stop. I missed that. You're out fussing and doing something again. Uh, I'm just putting something away. <laughs> I knew it. 714-545-2071. Call and play trivia. Call and say hi. Call and tell us a storm story or a bad weather story. And while we're waiting, how about a show? Huh? Huh? A show? Yeah. All right. I'm ready for a snack. Oh, me too. Yeah. Uh, Fibber McGee and Molly. Yay. Yay. One. Hmm? Let's do it. Let's do it. Our first one. And this has got my question for you because I know you know the answer to this one. This one is called Stuck in the Grading. Now, last week, Fibber got stuck in a suit of armor. This week, he is stuck in a grating. I actually put his hand in a sidewalk grating and got stuck. Now, Walden and I were trying to come up with all the times that Fibber was stuck in something. And we came up with, in different shows, a bowling ball, the sidewalk grate for tonight, the suit of armor, and he got stuck in new pavement. He walked in new pavement, and his feet got stuck. So those are the only four shows that we could come up with. So if you come up with something else that Fibber got stuck in, you've got yourself a CD. So anyway, he went downtown. This week he goes downtown with Molly because he wants to retrieve a half dollar that he and Mort Toops flipped the night before to find out who would buy the hot buttered rum. I don't know where they were coming from, but the coin rolled down the the sidewalk grate, and the coin is still down in the hole, and Fibber's figuring out a way that he can get it. So he sticks his hand in the grate, and he gets stuck there. So I'm thinking, a half a dollar, wow, you know, this is 1949 we're talking about. This is November 15, 1949. So I went out and found some information about half dollars. Now, this particular one was introduced in 1948. I say this particular one. There was a, a series that was introduced in 1948, the Franklin half dollar, that was only around for 16 years because the Kennedy half dollar replaced it. Now, this is the, the Franklin with Benjamin Franklin's image on it. It was the first U.S. coin to what? Uh, to not have a penny in the United States on it? Exactly. See, yeah. I knew you would know it. <laughs> it was the first United States coin to feature a person who was not a president. It was Benjamin Franklin. And uh, it was the last of the half-dollar series that was made of 90% silver. So it was really worth it for Fibber to stick his arm down there. Anyway, he sticks his arm down there. He gets stuck, as only Fibber could do. And he has to get out of this mess, get his hand out of there. Now, this is 
the Listen Hard show. So I'm going to have three questions when we come back. All three questions are based on the show. But I need some help with this one because Fibber trips over a line in here. About halfway through the show, he's describing the crowd of people. People have gathered around him because he's got his arms stuck in the sidewalk grate. And I can't figure out what he was trying to say. He just stumbled over these words. Molly laughed. They moved on. So you and our listeners have to tell me what he was saying. Good. Okay. Good. We'll give that a good college try. Okay. You can help me with that. So this is Stuck in the Grading from November 15th, 1949, and we'll be back after the show. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick Legrand, Cliff Arquette, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. Again tonight, we bring you great news about the most important development in floor care in the past 15 years. Johnson's new glow coat is now positively water repellent. That means that at last there is a self-polishing floor wax that does not streak, does not leave drab spots behind when you wipe up spill things. Dishwater ice cubes spill drinks can be whisked away, leaving your floor still shining. You don't wipe off the floor wax when you wipe up the water. Now, as you know... Wherever Mr. McGee of 79 Wistful Vista goes, he likes to go first class. If it's the theater, his seat has to be down front. If it's the fights, he likes to sit ringside. At the opera, nothing but a box. So we find him now with Mrs. McGee in a pair of fourth row seats on the aisle, going downtown on the streetcar. <laughs> As we join Fibber McGee and Molly. Fibber and Molly return in a moment. It's the biggest news in years for homemakers. At last, there's a self-polishing floor wax that's positively water repellent. It's Johnson's new glow coat. Now, here's what that means to you. New glow coat now gives you brighter floors while it saves you hours of hard work. Because it repels water, new glow coat does not lose its shine even after repeated damp moppings. Does not streak. Does not leave drab spots behind when you wipe up spilled things. And that solid surface of tough, shining wax means much more besides. It means quick mopping instead of hard scrubbing. Far less wear on floors and linoleum. It means economy, too. Johnson's new glow coat stays on, stays bright. Not days, but weeks longer. Tomorrow, get the best self-polishing floor wax money can buy. The glow coat now on your dealer's shelves is Johnson's new water-repellent glow coat. Get some tomorrow. Dr. Gamble, wonderful, McGee. Yeah, he's a great kid. Always there when you need him, if you can get an appointment. You know what puzzled me? Uh, how did he happen to have a saw in his office that could cut metal? 
My gosh, I don't know. Let's call him up and ask him. I did. Oh, what did he say? Well, he said he got that last year when he had to operate on a steel man from Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, good night. Good night, all. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada, bring you Fibber McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? The fastest wax polish money can buy. That's Johnson's Cream Furniture Wax, the time-saving wax polish that keeps furniture bright and glistening almost without effort. For Johnson's Cream Wax cleans so quickly, dries so quickly, polishes so quickly, that using it is almost as easy as dusting. A few strokes with a cloth do the cleaning, a few more bring out a bright, satin, smooth polish. And Johnson's Cream Wax contains no sticky oils to catch dust. Tomorrow, start using Johnson's Cream Furniture Wax. It's the fastest wax polish money can buy. There's excitement on Big Town, coming to you next on NBC. And that sounds like Hal Gidney there, the announcer. You recognize that voice with Dragnet and the Six Shooter. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Were you able to decipher what tri- what Fibber tripped over when he was talking about the crowd around him? Well, I I'm gonna have to. I listened to what you thought the middle of the part, and I listened to. I'm wondering. I didn't hear any other laughter. So I'm, I I heard everything clearly. Um. You know, what well, time I tune in after my snack was right right around the Billy Mills musical piece through the rest of the show, pretty much. Okay. This was when Harlow Wilcox showed up. Yeah, I heard that. Just and fine. There, and there was a crowd around them. Right. And Fibber said, I think he was supposed to say something about milling around. And he got a bunch of words with M's all mixed up. And I couldn't figure out what he was trying to say. Well, why don't I? Why don't you just chat for a second? Now, let's, 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 let's me rewind to that point, and I will, and I can decipher that for you. Oh, you're gonna find, you're gonna rescue me, uh-huh. Yeah. So you just, you, you, you've been for me here for a second while we're rewinding the tape to that point. Well, I will just start talking here. We've got some trivia questions out there. Which superhero do these things belong to? Cato, Black Beauty, Britt Reed, Daily Sentinel. What are they associated with? There's a superhero they're all associated with. Hello there, caller. You're on with Patricia. I just want you to know that we, the Hawaii University of Hawaii Warriors, beat the number 19 rated team, um, Nevada. We yeah. won 27 to 20. I saw that. Wow. I set the I set the, the scoreboard. I said, "There's one. He's a happy guy tonight." You are one. Yeah, we won. I just got home from the stadium, and we won. I, I am a happy camper, and I am. Hey, you, you guys, you, you guys are having such a good season. You're going to go to a bowl game. I bet in Hawaii. Oh yeah, we are. If we win two more games, which we definitely will, mm-hmm. we'll be going to the Sheraton Hawaii Bowl Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's for sure. That's a big trip for you guys. 
<laughs> we might get a little jet lag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, getting to Hawaii. Yeah, right. Well, well congratulations. That is too cool. Each week you're with sure. us. Your team wins, so we must we're, be luck. We're eight point. We were eight points underdog, you know. And yeah, we were eight points underdog. And oh boy, did you beat the odds? Wow. Uh, and you know, we we kind of manhandled Fresno State last week in Fresno, and they were supposed to beat us, but we we took care of them. And in <laughs> eight points underdog, we thought, well, yes, those shows no respect. Yes, right. We'll show you. That is so cool, boy. I, wouldn't you like to have been the bookie on that one? Oh man, I would. Yeah, there you go. But how I won and. And uh, and you guys are on the air, and everything's right. Oh, everything is right with the world. Were you able to hear the show? Did you hear the Fibber McGee and Molly show? Oh, not really. I was just... You were too happy, is what... I know you guys are... Molly. You were too happy. Uh, I just couldn't wait to get home and call you and say, we won, we won. I'm so glad you did. You know, I kind of figured that's where you were. And you've been, I think you guys have been on a roll. This is what, four games in a row now? We won it. We are on a roll. We have only lost two games. And we lost from USC, of course. And, uh, of course, USC lost from Stanford, but they, they manhandled California, I think. That's true. I found the place for Patricia, so hold on, Ron, let's play this for Patricia. Ron, you have to help me with this. I can't figure out what Fibber is saying in this particular spot, so put your ears on and help me. All right, guys, here, here's what I think she, is the spot that Patricia's looking for, so here we go. There's, no, there's nothing but a mob of Mormon maroons. <laughs> nothing but a mob of Mormon maroons. Which is all mixed up. Uh-huh. Make any sense? No. He just screwed. He just screwed up he, that whole part. He missed his own lines. Yeah, he did, yeah. and I, I can't figure out what he was supposed to have said. He maybe he doesn't know either. He didn't read his own writing, you know. He didn't Mor laugh very hard on that, so I wonder if she didn't know either. Marvin Marvin Maroon. How in the world would you make sense out of that? Doesn't doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. Oh, oh no. Oh, well. I'll figure something out. might not be right, but it'll be good. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. What, the, what the lines are supposed to have said, you know, so. Well, and usually we can figure it out. When he trips over a line, he gets more fun out of it than anybody else. And Molly gets set off, but it just didn't happen there. Do you have any guess earlier? No, we were waiting for you. Yeah, you're the first one to call. You you, you called in the neck of time. <laughs> yeah, oh, you didn't have any, any special guests. Well, what's, well, I, okay, my favorite line to you, Walden, is what's on the agenda for tomorrow? Ooh, well, I am still working on it. Um, I don't know what the Dick Burrow and Ed Corcoran interview part is, and I'm trying to decide what special to run. Okay. Frank helped out KNX in 1965 when it did a, a whole hour for comedy, Patricia. And it interviewed Joy Byrne, uh, it interviewed Marie Wilson, all these different people about comedy. 
Uh-huh. And that might be, and Frank supplied the shows for that back in 1965. Oh, how cool. So we might play that. I think I'm leaning toward to play that in the, in the Gary Moore, Bob Maxwell covering 1945, Ron. That's sort of what I got planned. But as you know, things have to happen to go with the flow. So we'll find out. Now, Walden, who, I, I missed part of last night. Who was Frank Brizzy talking to that played the... Blanche? That was Marsha Hunt. Oh. Marsha Hunt is turning 93 this weekend. Oh, my gosh. And she was, uh, she took over for Francis Lanford in the Bickerson in 1948 on the Charlie McCarthy show. And then she was a well-known movie star of the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And she did a lot of volunteer work, I think, for UNICEF over the years in different she, projects. She was pretty good as, as um, Blanche Bickerson. She did pretty good as too. Yeah, I thought she did. Yeah, and you could tell that when when uh, Frank was interviewing her, she was much older than, than the recording. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, but she got almost a photographic memory. I put her on with Bill, Bill and Mike earlier this year, and every every time they asked the movie, she said, "Oh, I did, I did four movies with that person, or I did five movies with this person." Wow. And every time we had her on, it's always different stories. She has, she has terrific recall. Tons and tons of stories. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Billions and billions. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I have tons of stories, but many of them are not true, so maybe I've been... <laughs> well, I have, a, I have two questions for you, Ron. You have two questions? Has... Well, let's see if I can answer one of them. Oh, well, the first one is an easy one, because it's about you. Oh, it's about me? Because the theme for tonight was to talk about weather things that you remember, especially from when you were a kid. Storms, and people were talking about snowstorms, which you have never had. What kind of weather events happen in Hawaii that you remember from a kid? You know, in 19, uh, we had a big hurricane in 19, I think it was 1959. Ooh. That was one of the, when I was in high school. Huh? And we had a, we had a, we had a big hurricane storm. But Kauai, the island of Kauai got hit the most. But anyway, um, we were watching Ozzy and Harriet on TV, though. I remember I was on a Friday night. And um, that was quite a memorable experience. The wind was really kicking up in Hawaii. Yeah. Did you have any damage in your neighborhood? My neighborhood was fine. No. What about on Kauai? I think they had some, yeah, they had some major damages, but we were fine. Is that, now you said that was in the 1950s? Yeah, when I was in high school. When you were in high school. So uh, this has been a very long time since you've had a huge storm like that. Oh, then we had, no, then we had one in 81. Hurricane Eva, I think, was another big storm we had. And her, that was, Kauai always got the brunt of our hurricane storms. But, um, and that did a lot of damages. My friend had a home on Kauai. All of a sudden, he could see um, sunlight coming through his home. Oh, oh, gosh. The roof was gone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was, uh, he and his family were safe? Yeah, they were safe, yeah. Okay. Well, you lose a roof like that, and oh. it goes away. That's one thing. If it falls down into the house, that's quite something else. Oh, it just got 
blown someplace. Ron, all of a sudden his house became a convertible. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Ron, it's expensive to live in Hawaii. I, mean, I don't know if more people know that, especially if they never visit that. Can you give us some ideas how much thing costs? Well, you know something? I think it's more expensive to live in Alaska, but of course they say that the wages in Alaska is better than Hawaii, you know, as far as, you know, what you earn. But, yeah, but you know what? San Francisco is getting pretty close to. Yeah, it's getting expensive up in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Parking and gas and mm-hmm. everything. San Francisco is pretty expensive. But Hawaii, I guess when you live in Hawaii long enough, you don't really know how expensive it is, I guess, compared to. Because I know your sales tax in, in California is pretty high, right? Eight, 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 eight point two five. That's right. Yeah. Ours well, is less than a little less than five percent. Yeah. You know how much certain grocery products cost in Hawaii? Like if I wanted to eat an apple, how much would it cost? Uh, I, no, I, I can't really tell you uh-huh. because um, it's uh, fluctuating. My wife is more of a grocery. Uh huh. All right, so if we send you to the supermarket, if we send Gail to the supermarket with a list, she can come back with a list of prices for us next week? My, my wife would be so thrilled that you would remember her name. <laughs> oh, this is very easy to remember. She's such a sweet person. I'll tell you, though, Patricia, in 19, we had friends, next-door neighbor in 1975, and he was a commercial fisherman. When he, what he was, he worked for a movie star producer. He worked on his boat, and the boat, they decided to move the boat to Hawaii from California. Mm-hmm. And we thought, they were, my dad thought they were crazy because they were buying a house in 1975 for $100,000. And, you know, in our area, 50000 was big bucks, you know, in 1975. Right. And about 18 years later, when we visited, it's just a, it was a nothing fancy, small, yeah. small, you know, uh-huh. sand, Sort of for one point eight million. Uh huh. You know, yeah. th- things go up in Hawaii. There's no doubt. Everything about is relative. Well, yeah. It, it, there... Well, actually, what we pay for hundred thousand, what we could have bought in Las Vegas for that price, would be a mansion. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there, there's just so much space in Hawaii. When it's gone, it's gone. When when there's nothing left to build on. It's the end. I mean, California goes forever, for goodness sakes. And so does the Las Vegas area. But Right now, Las Vegas though, is really hurting. Even yes. Real estate market is really down in Las Vegas. And all Very much. The Very much. Game, the gaming is going down. You know, a lot of hotels have had to to lay off a lot of workers. And uh-huh. It's really sad. The economy... Has taken a toll in a lot. Oh, California, the government is in pretty bad. They, yep. they, right, Walden? Yeah, yep. I think we can just let's let the government bankrupt and we'll survive. No. Yeah, my area is tops in foreclosures. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if we're still number one, but for a long time we were the highest foreclosure rate in the nation. In, in my county, my immediate area. Right. And uh, they, were, they had so many foreclosures being processed that they called retired judges in. And the courtroom, they called the rocket docket because they had to move people through so fast. They called it the rocket docket. You know, actually, this economy has taken a toll on a lot of people. Oh, 
big time. Yeah, and, it, and it's really sad. You know, we're fortunate, you, me, whatever, that we have a roof over our head, and, you know, um, you know, and I'm still able to play some music and still make some income and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's some people that really, really are, are having a rough... Oh, yeah. But I also still think how bad it must have been during the Great Depression. I know. I know. How many people, what, some people, a lot of people commit suicide during that it, time? It had at least, uh, reportedly a 25% unemployment. Right. 24 to 25%. Yeah. Which is pretty high. Really high. And and, and lot, that time, a lot of people lost everything that they owned, you know, during the Depression. Hmm. It was sad. I'm, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't have to go through that period of time because it must have been really rough, you know. Because it's kind of rough now. Mm-hmm. And this is just a taste. You're right. This is just a, a little bit of spice compared to what they went through in the 30s. But, but you know, that's where sometimes old, old radio shows are very refreshing because... You know, you, you, while we're going through all of this rough, and you listen to some old radio shows, it's refreshing because you realize that there was some wholesome entertainment during that time. You know? Mm-hmm. And I'm learning so much about the resiliency of people. They dealt with so much during the time these shows were being made, and they worked through it. They didn't heat their water for 24 hours a day. They only heated it when they wanted to take a shower or a bath. They recycled. They mended. They did things that we today have never even heard of or seen being done today. But they made it through by doing things that maybe we need to take a look at and learn how to do again. We have lots to be grateful for. They never had the modern (laughs) things that we have. No. <coughs> Today, you know? Mm-hmm. But they did without. They did. <coughs> and they struggled through it. And, you know, we got lots to be thankful for. Yes, we I do. The biggest thing we, I think, we're blessed with all three of us here that are talking is the medical service today is so much better than any of us probably would have gone through back in the 30s. Oh, my gosh. And you know, Ed, what's amazing, every time we think about this, you know, mm-hmm. Walden urine urine customies. Yep. And she is in Patricia's in Florida. Right. I'm in Hawaii. Right. We're, we are going through some economic hard times, but yet the two of us can have an enjoyable, mm-hmm. uh, cheerful conversation through a conversation, and 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 lean on each other's shoulders to mm-hmm. uh, uplift each other, mm-hmm. whereas people in those days. They could never do what we're doing today. No. no. They had no outside contact beyond their immediate little town. Can you imagine how much a long-distance phone call was? Oh, it was enormous, yes. I mean, it's... And it was operator to operator. We hear that with um, with some of the shows like Johnny Dollar. Yeah, or, or the classic sample to me is the hitchhiker. <gasps> was always, and he's always putting all the quarters to call back home. Uh-huh. And like $3.75 or something from New Mexico to New York or some for three minutes. Uh-huh. You know, there's no way, Walden, you could have a show like this. No. Those days. No. No way. You know. No. Because we couldn't afford. No. We couldn't afford to, to talk like this all, this right. all or whatever. Right. No. We couldn't afford to have you say hello. 
Right. Yeah, can you imagine what your bill yeah, I mean, just connecting to Hawaii, <laughs> even if you were and said hello. That has unlimited long distance. <laughs> I have a cable uh, network that gives me a long, I can call anywhere in the United States, mm-hmm. any time of the day for no, you know, no charge, mm-hmm. and Canada, you know. There's no way we could have had that. <laughs> no way. Nothing. Nope. 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 Best you could do was call your neighbor, and that was a party line to begin with. The three of us are talking as if we're all next door to each other. I, I know. Then I know. The reception is so clear, and it's a when are you going to send us our plane tickets? <laughs> I, no, waiting for the cost to be free. Oh, oh, oh okay. That was a good answer. He said, imagine, Ron, we can come to Hawaii for nothing. We could never have done it in, 19, in 2010. Put our finger aside of our nose and up the chimney wheel rose. You know, I, I no, seriously, though, I, I bet one day, if we ever had the opportunity to meet and hug each other, mm-hmm. that would be a real neat... Um, that would be special. Sure. That would be special. Walden and I have done that. Yep, yes. a couple times. We did that two times. All right. Cool. You and Walden? Uh-huh. Huh? You met each other in person? Yep. Uh-huh. Once in Florida and once in California. Wow. So, Walden, you know what she looks like. Dinner. Yeah. She's a, she's a, <laughs> she, she, she's a worker, Ron, so don't let you kid. What, she, yeah, she is a worker. Uh, again. She, she, she definitely is the pinup girl for the blind community. There's no doubt about that. You got it. I just love that. <laughs> I'll have my picture taken soon. (laughs) Get out to you guys. You are too much fun. He's the number one model. Uh (laughs) For for you guys. Oh, gee. You two are are a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yes, sir. Whenever we're on a date, they say, how did you like going out with Walden? Oh, he was really out of sight. (laughs) Run. You two are just outrageous. Hey, Ron. This, now, for you, the, the holiday season coming up pretty quick. Do you just no. you generally pay, play more often for special occasions and things yeah, like that? Already we're getting lined up for different Christmas parties. You know? Wow. Yeah. That's good. I, because I love the music at Christmas time. It's so, yeah. so wonderful. Oh, Christmas music. I play it all year. Yeah, she does. I rarely play anything else. I'll just plug in. I've got, oh, I don't know, maybe a thousand Christmas songs, and I just plug in and. Yeah, I'm looking forward. At Christmas time, you sent me uh, because I, I want some Christmas CDs from you. I'm anxiously waiting to to uh, have my family around the tree. We'll just play some more radio shows, you know. Really, really bringing the Christmas spirit. That is cool. Well, we need to do something. I've still got your CDs here, so I need to put something else in your envelope before it goes in the mail this week. <laughs> well, okay, we'll play. If I lose, I lose. Just send yeah. Okay, well, I've, I've got a, um, I got a bunch of questions out here, so we'll, we'll ask first. On a moment. Okay, go ahead. Ready. Okay. Which superhero do these things belong to? Cato, Black Beauty... Britt Reed, Daily Sentinel. Which character are they all associated with? Oh, the superhero is none other than... The Lone Ranger. Then... 
Green Hornet. A oh. uh, Green Hornet, yes. That is so good tonight. We won a game. I want to see. Well, what more could I ask? That's right. You've done good. See, I'm asking some of these questions backwards. You guys are good. Rick Reed. You are good. So if she can figure out how to do it sideways, we'll be in business. <laughs> well, Walden, is Brick Reed supposed to be related to Dan Reed? Yep. Yep. That is correct. It is. Now let me let me think about this. Britt Reed is the great great nephew of the Lone Ranger. Did I get that right? Right. He Britt Reed is the son of Dan, and Lone Ranger is the uncle. Okay, so that would make him his great-nephew. I never knew Dan Reed was ever married. What, did he get his kid out of wedlock or what? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we need to do an investigation. Patricia, you got to find out who is Dan Reed's wife. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's right. He had to have somebody, didn't uh -huh. he? He had to have somebody. So we got to find out who it was. It. Yeah, because he couldn't have given birth to him. I don't, listen, I am so happy that I have this little chunk of information about the Lone Ranger's first horse. Silver was not his first horse. Did you know that? Uh-oh. No. What was his first horse? His first horse, I will say this and then... Hey, wait, 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 wait. Was it white fella? Let me interrupt you. Okay. Wait, Gail, I'm talking to my wife now. Sure. Can I say a little Patricia, you remembered your name. Say hello to Patricia. Hang on. I'll let you. I'll let my wife say hello to you. Hey. My wife always thinks that nobody remembers her name. I'm, oh. Hang on one second. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Patricia. Oh, hi, Gail. How are you? Gosh, it's nice to say hi. Oh, for you it is. <laughs> Thank you for all the stories and the uh, radio shows that you. Um, you know, I I listen because he has it on and some. <laughs> <laughs> I end up just listening to it myself. <laughs> now, how is Ron like in real life? Oh, oh, he's exactly like the way he talks to you. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a good answer, but it's not the one Walden was looking for. <laughs> Are there any shows that you like? For me, I like all the old shows because when we were little too, you know, we, we listened to Long Ranger and Sergeant Preston and uh, Inner Sanctum and all those kind of things. Practically all the ones that he listens to, I listen to. So I kind of remember them. Okay, well, it, is there something special that you would like that I can put in an envelope? I don't know. I don't no, whatever you send, I listen to. <laughs> It'll keep your ears busy for a while. Uh, <laughs> okay, here's Ron again. Okay, I'm glad I got to say hi. Yeah, you got to say hi. How about that? Say hi, that was nice. Thank you for doing that. Oh, well, uh, you know, she always says nobody remembers my name, but um, she was thrilled that you remembered her. Oh, wow, she's such a nice lady. My goodness. <laughs> um. And Gail is a pretty name. Okay, now I have to put something else in your envelope. Yeah, let's see. What, what is she there? You know, we've got, um, yeah, we've got the Diary of Fate and we got the Frontier Gentleman. So let's get a comedy in there. Otherwise, you know, uh, we need a little comedy here. Let's see what we got in comedy. Oh. Down your list and I'll choose a comedy. All right, I'm going to go from the back forward in comedy. I'll start at the bottom and work to the top. 
We've got Vic and Sade, Red Skelton, Phil Harris and Alice Faye, Our Miss Brooks, Love and Abner, Jack Benny, Halls of Ivy, Great Gildersleeve, Fred Allen, Fibber, um, Eddie Cantor, Easy Aces, Duffy's Tavern, um, Bob Hope, Burns and Allen, Bob and Ray, Blondie, Baby Snooks. I know you got Baby Snooks already. Um, Chris and Andy, the Aldrich family, and Abbott and Costello. Wait, wait, wait. Um, before, you know, Easy Aces and Walden, did they always uh, do a show without audience? Meaning, yeah, huh? Yeah, they did. The, the um, the the fifteen minute shows were always without the audience. Now I think when they went to a half hour, they had an audience. That's what I thought, but mm-hmm. but I don't know if you know they ever had an audience. No, okay, I think more people remember the fifteen minute version. Yeah, yeah. without people, without uh-huh. audience. No. The show same thing with Vic and Sade. More people listen to that with the fifteen. And don't realize there was a half hour with the audience. Now, Patricia, there's a question for you. Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Yeah, great show. As a Rexall production, do you have any that were sponsored by RCA or Finch or whatever? No, I don't Don't recall having heard them. Those started in uh, October of uh, 1950. Well, now you've given, well, oh, gee, you know, I've got some here that I probably haven't even listened to yet. From October of 1950 through, yeah. None of the ones I have are dated unless I open them. Let me see down at the bottom here. Um, You want something other than Rexall is what you're telling me. Is that correct? Uh Yeah, I'm asking if you got anything other than a Rexall. Well, she might have the Fitch bandwagon, which was from 46 and 47. Yeah, the Fitch, the shampoo was the first one, right? And then RC came after Rexall. Correct. Correct. Actually, they didn't have a sponsor for a while, but they they sort of hit and... See, that was going to be RCA, and then RCA took it over. And then it was RCA Victor through about 1954. Okay. Well, I am having trouble with my stuff here. Poor Patricia. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm on another assignment then to find Phil Harris and Alice Faye other than Rexall. Yeah. Oh, Rexall. Boy, you know, you guys come up with the strangest assignments for me. Well, we're kind of, we can, some blind people can be really strange. I know, they are. <laughs> they will get a strange lot. Strange. I don't know why she associates with us. Yeah, well, uh, I, 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 I won't make you work that hard. You make, you make me a pin-up girl. How can I not associate with <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let, Let's go to some westerns instead, then. Okay? Oh, gosh, we got loads of westerns. I will look for the Phil Harris and Alice Faye, because if there are others out there, I would love to hear them, too. So I will I will do my best to find them. Let's see what we got in the westerns. We've got the Cisco Kid, Fort Laramie, Frontier Fighters, Frontier Town, Gunsmoke, Half Gun Will Travel. Boy, that's a great uh, guy. Like Half Gun Will Travel, Hopalong Cassidy, The Lone Ranger, Luke Slaughter, Red Rider, Romance of the Ranchos. You don't want that. It's not too hot. Roy Rogers got loads of Roy Rogers. Six Shooter. Tales of the Texas Rangers. I've got a little bit of Tom Mix, not very much, and I've got loads of Wild Bill Hickok. Let's go with the Cisco Kid. How, how does that? <laughs> They're 
fun. I like the Cisco Kid. You know, that was an interesting serial because when Pancho got sick, um, Cisco had his nephew, some Pancho's relative that was playing then. Mel Blanc took over. Is that what it was, Walter? Uh-huh. When Harry Lang got sick, Mel Blanc took over and donated the salary to Harry. Yeah. Uh, but when Harry passed away, Mel t- kept the role, and his Harry wife said, where's my money? He didn't, think, <laughs> he didn't think he owed her anymore after Harry passed away. Really? Uh-huh. He didn't owe her anything. I know. And, and she, she wanted to know where her where the money went? Yeah. Yeah, after he died, he was, uh, I guess, assuming that he would still get the paycheck. Terrible. Well, some people have no class at all. You know, they're like... <laughs> they're like Patricia in Florida. Well, anyway, yeah, we'll take the Cisco kid. And, uh, and it was nice. I didn't mean to tie you guys up this long. And I, Goodness, are you but, kidding? No, this is you, great. We you, never get to talk to you very often. I'm just in a good mood, and I just want to share my... Uh, Happiness with you guys. I'm so glad you guys won. Hooray for the rainbow. Hey, that's fun. That's fun. And next week you're going to call and do it again. And then this night ended up with me talking with the pinup girl, you know, oh. and stuff. I, I <laughs> think it would be more complete, you know. <laughs> oh, you two are funny. Didn't yeah. think that my wife would, would, would even want to say hello because she doesn't talk on the phone that much, but I'm glad that she you got to meet her on the telephone and went up. Now it says when the four of us get to meet each other, it'll be really exciting, you see. Yes, yes, and I'm glad I got to say hi, too. Thank you for doing that. Talk to you guys later, and I'll look forward in the mail with the Cisco kid and all the others. And Cisco! Have a safe day tomorrow. And I'll think of Diablo and Amigo. Amigo, yeah. Oh, uh, what was Pancho's horse's name? Let's see. Logo. 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 Yeah, that's right. Logo, logo. Yeah. You are so right. Boy, you guys are good. Diablo or Cisco. And was well, played by... Cisco, yes. And who played who play Cisco? Oh, Harry Mather? Uh, Harry Lang with the... Uh, Harry Lang. But you, you're close. Mather. Uh, Jack, who was Mather? Jack Mather. Jack. Very good. I was close. You're really good. You know, the Jerry Mather stayed beaver. <laughs> no, it wasn't Jerry Mather. <laughs> that I knew. Talk to you guys later. Okay. Aloha. Aloha. I want you to know again, let all listeners know that Hawaii beat the number 19 team across the country. We beat Nevada. All right. Hooray. Hooray. Aloha. Aloha, Ron. There he goes. Too much fun. Pin-up girl for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Maybe people will have to apply for, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just so silly tonight. <laughs> you are so much fun. Okay, so. 714-545-2071. You can talk to the lovely town of Patricia. 714-545-2071. And I have some interesting questions for tonight. Yeah, you gonna give out our favorite questions? Um. Oh gosh, yes. Oh, forgive me. Yes, we had a fibber show, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a strange night. Very strange night. Okay, it was 
stuck in the grating. Fibber stuck his hand in the grating. He wanted to retrieve something. And he got stuck, and Duck Gamble had to get him out. So the questions, I've got three. Actually, I've got four questions. The fourth one is kind of a gimme. It's a, it's a bonus question. So I need one out of four questions correct, and you win a CD. This is stuck in the grating from November 15, 1949. What was Fibber trying to retrieve when he got his hand stuck in the sidewalk grating? Second question is, who got Fibber loose so he could drag himself and the grate to Doc Gamble's office? And the third question is, what did Doc Gamble use to get the grate off Fibber's wrist? Then I have a bonus question. I'm going to ask this of Walden. Did you listen to the show? I heard almost the whole thing except for the first two minutes. That's fine. This is good. Molly took over from Harlow Wilcox and talked about an improved kind of Johnson's wax. Mm -hmm. What was it? It was Johnson water repellent glow coat. Perfect. They added water repellent to it. That is correct. So we've got three other questions. What was Fibber trying to retrieve when he got his hand caught in the sidewalk grate? Who got Fibber loose so he could drag himself in the grate to Doc's office? And what did Doc Gamble use to get the grate off Fibber's wrist? 714-545-2071. I got thinking when I was listening to that Phil McGee Molly commercial, I was thinking, you know, we just should just call Johnson Watt and see if they you know who Phil McGee and Molly is. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> I'm, I sometimes wonder, the company... Once you're offshore, it builds pretty good. You know, seas build pretty good. Yeah. Well, you folks up along the east coast right. have taken all of the hits this year with the hurricanes and the storms. Hmm. I, I'm almost afraid to say it out loud. We got tickled at the southern tip of the state with one, and I mean just tickle. And after that, just everybody on the east coast got hammered with this all the way up the coast. Right. Florida is, of course, the hurricane capital of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys are taking the hits for us this year. I'm really sorry because you've had some brutal weather along that whole coast, right up to the northeast. So I'm glad well, we I mean, don't it, have it. I'm just sorry you do. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it happens. You know. Uh, Indeed. Indeed. So you in the market for a question, or are you just kind of saying hi? What's your question? <laughs> Okay, we'll do this. We're still into partners and associates here. Who is Abner Peabody associated with? You mean Lum and Abner? Or? That's right. Okay. Associated with Lum. Do you know what Lum's last name was? No, I don't. Okay. Want me to tell you or you want to hold on? It's <laughs> 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 just, I, you're going to have to wait forever to hear it. I, want me to tell you? Oh, uh, it doesn't matter. You can save it for somebody else. <laughs> no, it's okay. I wasn't, it wasn't part of the question. Um, I just wanted to know if you knew it. His name was Edwards, E-W-E-D-W-A-R-D-S, but he pronounced it Edders. So his name was Lum Edders is the way he pronounced it. Right. And he spelled it. So I thought that was kind of cool. And um, that's my entire 
box of knowledge from the night. <laughs> you got the whole thing. So, what can I send you? Oh, you want to send me a disc? Sure. Okay, let me, uh, look here, uh, chips. Give me a category and I'll tell you what I got. Uh, another one you had, I'm trying to think of the name of, uh, the comedies, uh, Comedies. He likes comedies. Who the, who the last caller? Who was you sending him? Uh, that, he, he wanted... Amos hey, and Andy. Amos and Andy? Yeah, just do that while you're making them. Just make an extra set. <laughs> so, but it should be easier for you. Okay, Amos and Andy it is. Amos and Andy. Okay, do you have any? Have I ever sent any, or do you have any in your collection? I have none of the Amos and Andy. No, I have... He sent me a pretty full set of uh, Lum and Abner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I asked about the Amos and Andy because I have them in more than, I mean, there are a lot of shows and I have them clustered in folders, so I would have sent you to do some homework and tell me which folder I sent you, but if I didn't send you any, then I can send you whatever I want. Yeah. yeah well, I come out ahead. I don't have to go shopping <laughs> for you. Amos and Andy, it is. Sure. And, uh. Is it, is it getting cooler up there? Yeah, it was cool last week, and uh, uh, it's warming up again a little bit now. It's, I think it's about 45 out there tonight. I was out. <gasps> That's winter. Uh, not really. It's, uh, we haven't had any heat on yet. And these guys are out fishing? Yeah, it'll be a lot warmer out there. It'll be warmer out there in the wind? Yeah, because well, uh, they're out in the, uh, the Gulf Stream. And... Uh, the, the, what the Gulf Stream is, it's a warm eddy current that flows, uh, like from Florida, runs up, uh, runs up the coast, uh huh, into New England, and turns, goes over to Europe, comes back down. Right. Uh, and uh, it's a, it's just a warm weather eddy. So you can go out in January, you leave land, it'd be freezing, and then you get out there, you're wearing a short sleeve shirt. Gary. Uh, uh, yeah. You would wear a short sleeve shirt, not me. See, it's, it's actually, uh, you know, once you're out there, it's actually nice. The water, water will be warm and uh, yeah. run out, and it's actually pretty decent, you know. Actually, I guess I don't have to worry about it because I wouldn't go out to begin with. I'm the welcome home committee. <laughs> yeah. The one on the dock it's, saying, here I am, I've got the hot coffee, we're all ready with a party. I don't do boats like that. It would scare, I mean, you just scared the dickens out of me the other night when you were talking about it being so so dark and you can't see anything and all you see are stars and you can hear the whales and I thought oh yeah yeah I'm just I'm Charlie Chicken I'd be down I I'd be there saying I want to go home I want to go home please take me home well once you go yeah my wife never, has never been offshore with me she used to fish inshore you know like 20 miles out but she started getting seasick so she she quit going and uh... so the two of us can be the welcome home party. Right. <laughs> yeah, the only thing is she she loves the fish, you know. I mean, she likes to eat the fish once they come in, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, and, uh, that's good. I mean, you can't eat the whole thing yourself. You come in with some pretty big fish. Yeah. But uh, since, I, since she started eating, uh, you know, like the raw fish, uh, you know, she's like a vulture when, I, when we're cutting fish up, you know, grabbing pieces. And uh, I don't know if you ever tried that or not, you like the sushi or sashimi, things like that. No. 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 Yeah, she uh, 
she absolutely refused. I mean, she was not going to eat no raw fish. And, and one, day, one day I just talked to her. I said, look, you know, it's not going to hurt you. It's just, you know, people eat it around the world. Try it. And, yeah, she really likes it now. Oh, okay. <laughs> A lot of people get sick just thinking about it, you know. That's cool. You know, I mean, I'm never going to criticize what other people like, but yeah. make me eat it, okay? Yeah, but if you like fish, try it sometime. You know, like some fresh, if you ever get a chance to get fresh tuna or something, you know. And I'd really rather have my stuff cooked. Mm-hmm. I'm not big on fish either, but, uh, you yeah, know. I, I like fish. I'm just not going to eat it before it comes out of the oven or the pan. <laughs> No, like I said, when you're out there, so I I don't go much anymore. I mean, I used to really like going, but yeah, I just don't go that much anymore. It's just uh, so hard on my hips. Uh, but uh, yeah, when you're out there at night, uh, those nighttime trips are the best because it's yeah, the the air is clearer. You're away from all the pollution. You know, the the air, the air is cleaner. Huh? Then you're away from all the light pollution. So that's the fun. Yeah. Nice sky is really neat out there, and. Uh, and one one night, this was real interesting. I don't want to take your time, but uh, it was interesting to me because I was there. But uh, we uh, we were out there by ourselves. Uh, you could see some other boats off in the horizon, lights off other boats out, you know, maybe four or five miles away from us. Huh? And uh, apparently there was an aircraft carrier uh, running some sort of maneuvers. Yeah. These planes. Uh, what we heard was this carrier was about 100 miles away from us. But all these uh, Navy planes, they were using us as mock targets. Oh, my. And uh, oh. they would come in come in on you, and you're sitting there, and, and just the, the sound off those, off those jet, powerful jets, when they would they would come in and then power, you know, like you could see them lining up on you like they're going to be strafing you or drop a bomb or something, and then power out. And and uh, the, 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 the awesome power of those engines, it was... Oh, boy, the first couple of times, I'd have been laid out flat. Yeah, we had a, a, a 35-foot twin diesel then, and uh, uh, it, would, it would rock the whole boat. I mean, uh, oh my. Just the, the power off it, it was coming in real low and then powering out, and, and uh, it was, you know, you're hoping nobody pushes the wrong button on you, you know? <laughs> Didn't get a whole lot of sleep, did you? Oh, we were fishing, you know, it was, it was nice, you know? Uh, you were, oh, oh well. Yeah, the fish had a great time with that too. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, it was an amazing air show, you know, all, uh, just just us, you know. <laughs> uh huh. Wowzers. Okay, well, I am so glad you called in. I'm sorry you have to stay up for the rest of the day now. I think everybody should get a, <laughs> a late sleep on a Sunday. Right. Nah, I'm not a late sleeper anymore. Oh. Never was. I've always been up early. But oh gosh. I'll let you go. I'll find some more about you know, something, someone more interesting to talk to here. Oh gosh. Okay. Um. Did you do you remember streetlights from when you were a kid? Streetlights. Streetlights. Yeah. You mean uh, yeah, yeah, street. Sure. Yeah, the the stuff that's out on the side of the road, a streetlight. Yeah. With a light pole. Right. What did they look like? Uh. I've never really thought about them. They're just, just lights. I mean, I'm not old enough to remember gas lights or anything. <laughs> I didn't think you were. <laughs> it's, uh, of course, up in Pennsylvania, they look like uh, Hershey Kisses, you know. Oh, that's right. In Hershey, Pennsylvania, they do. I forgot about that. Edible lights. This is cool. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, well, your homework assignment for the week is to think about what the streetlights looked like in your town when you were growing up. Yeah, I didn't live in town. Where did you live? Uh, we lived we lived there. We were country people, you know. So, did you even have streetlights out in the country? Well, not out where we where we were at. No, I mean, uh, you know, we would uh, go to town. Uh, my huh? mom would go to town every every two weeks for groceries. But I mean, you know, we uh, there was barely lights out where we were. <laughs> Let alone street lights. Okay, well, you're forgiven. We'll have to get a different question for you then. So, yeah, I don't, don't really, uh, you know, like I said, where we lived, there was just nothing, you know. No. Well, you can't tell me what they looked like if you didn't have any. No, no, I mean, not, I mean in town, of course, there was some. Right. That was, you know, that was something, uh, you know, you just didn't see much of. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, I'll find a different question for you. All right, Patricia. Okay. You, you won't have a good night. Thank you, and thanks for calling. That's it. Bye-bye. Bye. 714-545-2071. It's officially the Breakfast Club. It is now the Breakfast Club because the, the, the breakfast. early risers are here. Yeah. Well, I've got a whole bunch of stuff. Here it is, 5 o'clock, and I've got bunches of stuff about bank night. I've got bunches of questions about the show caught in the suit of armor, and I still have Walden's question. And it's only 5 in the morning. And it's only 5 o'clock. People make it. <laughs> okay, well, this, this really isn't, it isn't worth asking, I guess, is what the situation is here. Oh, I, I, uh, th I think you're absolutely correct. We can skip that. <laughs> I shouldn't bother to ask it. You're too funny. I'm going to ask it anyway. I thought it would be pretty neat to stick with a half gun will travel theme for tonight. Sure. So I knew you that you knew where Paladin was based, but I wasn't. I knew. I knew that you knew that we knew that. That everybody knew. That everybody knew. I knew that you knew. That everybody knew. That everybody else knew. So we didn't need to knew that because we already known that. No, 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 no. Well, I knew. You knew. <laughs> All right, let me let me rephrase this. I am aware that you know. How's that? Is that good? How do I know what? Well, that you knew or know which city Paladin was based in. Yes, Lancaster, New York. It was in what? <laughs> Lancaster, New York. I know that. <laughs> That's where Paladin is. <laughs> I, I think... I think well, we're we know it's not, the we, end here. <laughs> we, we know it's not Brooklyn, you know. Not, it's not Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay, but I wasn't sure that you would remember the name of the hotel. The Carlton Hotel. The Carlton Hotel, and I see, and and we played it all night. So, but I, you knew that anyway, without even having listened to the shows. Yeah. But I thought it would be kind of fun. I wasn't positive that you'd know the hotel, well, but you did. Yeah, good. That's good. So you, I'm going to go to play um, hard stuff next week, boy. You're doomed. Can, can, can I give you a hint? Give me a hint? Uh -huh. I know what the answer is. Oh, that's good. <laughs> what, what is the hint? Ask me the question about the hotel. I think I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then, what hotel was Paladin based in? Anybody knows, you can help me out by giving me a call at 714 Five four five two zero oh, seven one. I feel like I'm part of the Twilight Zone here. <laughs> if you think Walden's playing with Patricia, you're absolutely correct. I'm having. 
<laughs> you are too much tonight. Yes, it's okay if you call to help Walden answer the question that he just answered. <laughs> well, that's a novelty answer, a novelty routine, isn't it? Well, it's a novel routine. This is correct. That's correct. This is correct. Yeah. Now, I've got all of these fabulous shows that I'm I'm trying to find homes for, and um, we got a late start tonight, so I'll hold the the um, I'll hold the adoption papers until next week. But I've got things like Rocky Jordan and Voyage of the Scarlet Queen in the Adventure Group, and I've got Jack Armstrong, the All American Boy. I do have loads of Agatha Christie mysteries, which are just great. They're British productions, and nobody can put on an Agatha Christie play like the British. So we've got them. I've got a new set of Shadow and uh, Shadow uh, shows, and they're divvied up into the categories with um, Orson Welles, um, Brett Morrison, um, Bill Johnstone, and is there a fourth? There are others, John Archer, uh, Steve Corcoran, but we only have like one one or so episode. Uh, okay, made, so, so those are the three main ones? Those are the three, those are the three biggies, yeah. Okay, then they're divvied up into three folders, so you can pick and choose. I'm not too sure about the Orson Welles. I have Orson Welles plus whatever was left over in that folder. But um, Ellery Queen, Space Patrol, Tom Corbett, X-1, Frontier Gentleman finally has a home. Ron asked for Frontier Gentleman. This is good. Um, the Lone Ranger. Nobody has asked for the Lone Ranger in a long time. I've got Hopalong Cassidy, Red Rider, Wild Bill Hickok, Gene Autry, Tales of the Texas Rangers, Roy Rogers. We've got loads of cowboys. And it uh, doesn't sound like we've got cowboy interests out there, but we've got others, if that's what you would like. So, you want to hear about Bank Night? Or maybe I should ask the Super McGee and Molly questions first. Oh, I got you were going to ask my, my Stump Walden question. Well, that was it. Which was it? The, the Carlton Hotel. But you didn't give me the question. You gave me the answer. <laughs> But I did. I said, "What? What was the hotel?" Oh, I said, "And you know the hotel, and you know where he stayed." And you said, "Yes, the Carlton." Well, I know, but I thought we could play the routine again. Okay. Oh, oh, wait. Okay, Walden. Yes. Are you ready <laughs> for your questions? <laughs> I am ready. Okay, Walden. What city was Paladin based in? San Francisco. Open Mary. your heart and say. Walden? Yes, my dear. What was the name of the hotel he lived at? He lived at the Carlton Hotel. This is good, in San Francisco. Oh, good. This is good. See, I knew you knew the oh, answer. Oh, gosh, yeah. You're too smart. I, I, I really have to do a better job here. I just, I just, I take after you. I just, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see my eyes rolling here. <laughs> and where do you live? Wait a minute, let me think. <laughs> I have to give that a thought. Um, I will do a better job. We, we, I just kind of well, you were love with the theme for tonight with Paladin and Half Gun Will Travel and the Ballad well, of Paladin. I got carried away. You were prepping for the show. Well, thank you. you I'll accept prepped. that. You prepped. We, you I did, you I, did, did. I did a lot of homework. I, boy, he blew me away. I thought, wow, this is good. I found seven halls of fame for him. Yep. And by golly, he came up, and there were ten. I know. He has been inducted into ten halls of fame. I thought I 
did great. I thought I had them all at seven, but I didn't. Well, hey. Okay, so here is Fibber. Fibber was kafunking down the down the way. Um, Gildersleeve is after him. He's going to punch him out, and poor Fibber is stuck in the suit. He is in a suit of armor. And the questions were, what? Who said to Molly, "Who's your friend in the noisy knickers?" Great line. Boy, they had some great lines in this show. The second question was, who said, you're a hard man, McGee? And the third question was, while he clunked home, Fibber asked Molly to hold a sword over his head. He had a sword that went with the suit of armor. Why did he ask her to hold the sword over his head? He was slashing taxes. No. That's as good an answer as anything. Not the right one. I know. 714-545-2071. 714-545-2071. This is fess-up time because you had to be listening to the show in order to answer the questions. So if you're not calling, maybe you didn't listen to the show. So you want some thank night information? I sure do. Oh, gosh, was this good or what? I thought, and I believe you did as well, that it was just kind of a casual pickup thing that local theaters did, and they gave away dishes one night, and they had yep. bank night another night. Yep, that's what I thought. And it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> it was an incredible um, network that was started by one person, Charles Yeager, who copyrighted the idea. He actually started... Bank Night as a game. Let me see if I can, uh, let's see. Bank Bank Night started in 1931 with Inventor Jaeger's Enterprise. It went from his brain to various theaters and by, let's see, what date are we here? Um, That's the industry, and we've got 1936. We had 4,000 of the nation's 15,000 movie houses playing Bank Night. Bank Night was in a lobby of a theater. The owner would place a large book. People who wanted to play would enter their names in the book opposite numbers that were corresponding. And later on, their numbers would be called. Bank night was usually Monday when receipts were normally the lowest, so it was an impetus to get people coming in to watch a movie. So they would, the numbers were drawn from a drum if the person whose name was entered uh, had, uh, did not respond within three minutes, the money went to the following week. And, of course, a larger group would show up the following week. But the interesting thing is that it was a system to play what the state would later, not the state, the actual nation, would actually decide was gambling, but because nobody bought a ticket and you actually did not have to be physically present inside the theater when the number was drawn, you just had to be on stage within three minutes, it evaded the lottery laws. They had laws against playing lotteries. So it was not considered a lottery until 1937 (laughs) when the courts started coming in and deemed many of the bank nights as gambling. 
So they banned them in some areas. Other areas were not banned. Places went to court. And in the meantime, this guy, Jaeger, was making or had made anywhere from $5 to $50 a week per theater in order to, to, to people who, who bought the right to use his idea. And he took people to court. Wow. Somebody came up with a, somebody came up with something that they called a cash night. And he took them to court and sued them because they, they had actually appropriated his idea and his system and simply tacked a new name on it. It would be like copying a book and just putting a new title on it. So it was really interesting. Apparently, it was quite a brouhaha. So that was 1936. Let's see what happened. In 1936, this uh, was from February 3rd, 1936, in Time magazine. Opening paragraph, in Minneapolis last week, I.J. Carr sued the manager of the Fall Theater for $2,000 in damages because of the humiliation he claimed to have suffered when the theater failed to pay him a $150 prize after announcing that he had won it on bank night. So we're in court already here. <clears throat> this is not good. Second paragraph, in Augusta, the Supreme Court refused to review a superior court decision that bank night was not a violation of the Maine lottery law. I was in Augusta, Maine. I mean, this, the whole place is going crazy here. In Los Angeles, a municipal court ruled that the Strand Theater pay $400 to the winner of a bank night prize who had failed to claim it in the specified three minutes, although he had been in the Strand Theater at the time the prize was announced. So people were going to court over this thing. I thought it was just like, you know, a friendly little Sherman... What, what, who was it, Ransom it's Sherman? Not, yeah, he thought we just a, a, a giveaway. Just to, you know, like a little door prize type thing. And it wasn't. It was big time nationwide. And it ran from 1931 to, I think it was 1937, they finally tossed it out. So it was, uh, it was quite a thing. I had no idea. Amazing what you make. I, I knew the name, and I thought a pretty much local theater did it around the country, and that's about all I never knew. Yeah. Great history, Patricia. Great. So, okay, for 1936, here's, here's a question for you. Now, recognizing, let's see, now this was, um, all right, we had 15,000. They called them cinemansions, not cinema houses or, or movie houses. They called them cinemansions in this article. That's peculiar. Like a mansion, only it was cinema. Well, a lot of them were, if you look at some of the classic examples of those theaters built in the 20s and 30s, some of them were like palaces, practically. Oh, gosh, they were. And some of them were named, yeah. had palace in their names, yes. Okay, so 1936, we've got 15,000 movie houses out there. And, of course, they're all tucked in little places. Most of them are tucked in little places like Wistful Vista. What do you think the annual receipts were? Um, of all 15,000 theaters combined? Uh-huh. The gross box, this mm -hmm. is gross, not yeah. that. Gross box okay. office receipts for the cinema industry in 1936. $300 A billion dollars. Wow. 
It's amazing that I, 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 I knew, well, it's amazing, well, it tells you a couple of things. I knew movies did well during the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, a billion dollars, wow. A billion dollars. They, they. Well, it tells you how important entertainment was to the culture then, just to get away. Just to get out and get away, yeah. and, and even in our Fibber McGee and Molly shows, there are a couple of nights. They went on bank night, yeah. they went on dish night, so there were premiums and draws to get people to go to the movies. Yeah. So. A billion dollars. Uh, Let's see. So she have 4,000 theaters and a billion dollars. Let's figure this out. Well, it's 15,000 15, theaters, 4,000 of them were playing bank night. Okay, so 15,000 theaters, so let's see here, a billion dollars, right, well, let's let see me, here, 1,500 <laughs> 15, 15, to 100 million, 1,500, uh, 100, we have 15, one, uh, 1 billion, right? Yeah, I was, I was trying to calculate, she broke the 15, 1 billion divided by 15,000, what would be oh. the average receipt per theater? I'm trying to do that. Let me see. So let me, I'm just calculating this out. Let's see. A billion, 15,000, 1,500, 100 million, 150 divided 10 million. Uh, 15, by 15,000. 15, a million divided by 15. Comes out to about 67 hundred dollars, 62. Gosh, this can't be. Well, I guess it could be 66,000, a little bit more than that. About 66. 6,500 per theater for the year. Wow. So. Yeah, so they were knocking down over $1,000 a week. Yeah. Plus. Plus. You know, and I, how much were they paying in 1936 to get into a theater? 15 cents. That's a lot of 15 cents. Yeah. Especially I'm thinking of the Saturdays, you know, with the cartoons and mm -hmm. all those type of stuff. Yeah. But. And that was one of the notes that they had bank night usually on a Monday because yeah. that was the lowest night there. Let's see. Okay. Weekly theater attendance in 1936 was 81 million weekly. So I could backtrack and figure out how much they paid based on that. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, 1941, the population was 135 million, 130 million people. Uh-huh. That's a lot of people. So, in the home 81 million. Yeah. Trying, I guess some of them would go more than once. Did they, well, I don't know. How how long was a movie, how long did a movie stay in maybe a town? A, maybe a week. They had one. In a theater, a, a first run, maybe once or twice a week, people would go. So, well, how, how long did the movie stay before they changed to a new film? Sometimes twice a week. Sometimes one, once a week. Because you think about it, I don't know if you ever have sat down and looked at the chart to see the number of films the studios were producing. Or just oh, good grief. They were cranking them out like they were chocolate chip cookies. Right. Unbelievable. Right. So I'm looking at $81 million as a weekly attendance. A lot of those people probably went twice. And back in those days, you know, what they did, they bicycled the movies. It was running one theater, then they would get over to. They would get down to another theater by biking it down to the next theater downtown. Yes, and I, as you were talking, I, my brain went boink. 
mm-hmm. with some of the old newspapers that I have found online with information and ads and things like that that I've talked about on the show. A couple of them that I saw had ads for various movie houses. So different movie houses in a city had different you know, they were playing different films. Mm-hmm. They weren't in competition with each other in the sense that they were running the same films. They were competing for the audience by showing different films. Um, but in, in places like Wistful Vista, they only got one movie to choose from. You went to the movie yeah. or you didn't. I think I asked Frank Percy about Carolina, the theater, and I think he told me they, they changed it twice in a week. Twice in a week. Yeah. Okay, so it stayed for three or four days. Uh-huh. So that that would be good. Yeah. 81 million attendances. They sold 81 million tickets in a week, but some of those tickets went to the same person more right. than once. Right. So okay, so in in 1936, they had 81 million a week attending, or 81 million tickets a week sold. And that is 10 million more than the year before. Yeah. So it was growing. In 1933, they had 54 million per week. In 1936, they were up to 81 million. That is a huge jump. Maybe you want to look at the percentages, you know, the number of percent of people going to the movie there, then going to the movie today. Uh-huh. Are, are, are we, we're probably not in the same numbers uh, in terms of percentages. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. I, uh, my guess is that we are way, way down because there are so many other things going on with I, television, which they did sure. not have, computers, which they did not have, computer games, which they did not have. People go out and uh, oh, oh. hopping around on Saturday nights and sure. they didn't do that during the Depression. So. I was just amazed. I, you know, <laughs> I haven't gone to a movie in a while. I was just checking this week as a fundraising possibility how much it would cost to rent a theater. Mm-hmm. And when I called the, the-, the theater, I didn't realize ticket prices are now up to $11 a pop. For a movie? Yeah. I think that's cheap. I think they're more expensive around here. You know, and I think in I think in Manhattan, it's not in her to go for $20 a pop. Oh, easily. Yeah. I, I have to say easily. You know, the overhead in Manhattan is so extraordinary between, you know, the taxes, and I, it, it's it's incredible. So I guess $20 is cheap. I don't have $20 pop <laughs> on a movie, and I would just as soon sit here and watch The Thin Man uh-huh. on, on the computer. So anyhow, I thought that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Out of, from 5,000 theaters, he collected anywhere from 5 to $50 a week, depending on the size of the theater. You know what? I'd be happy to collect five dollars from four thousand theaters. Boy, Maybe. I wouldn't even—I wouldn't charge him fifty dollars. I'd stick with it. You know, I mean, we were talking about usury uh-huh. the other day, yeah. or today—I don't, I don't recall—but I guess it was yesterday. Uh-huh. And that's pretty close. I'd be happy to take a buck per theater. Sure. Four thousand dollars a week. Sure. I'll support it with you, Patricia. Sure, in 1937, it went to 5000 I know, but still. $5,000 a week is a lot of money. 2010, I would still be happy to support that. Thank you. Yeah. I have very simple needs, so I only need a little bit of it. Well, I want you to get it. I want you to be able to do fun stuff. <laughs> yeah. I have always said it's 
not that I want anything. I really don't. I have such simple needs, and I've got, I think I told you I've got food, fun, and friends. I Who know. needs anything more than that? I know. But it would be so nice to be able to say no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> would, you would you like to buy a Cadillac? Well, I can, but no thank you. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the fun. I still wouldn't buy a Cadillac. And I wouldn't buy a big car, and I wouldn't buy a plane, and I wouldn't own a bus. I'd just sit here and be my little old self and say, no, thank you. Um, but if you want to send part of the $5,000, that's okay. I'll go out to eat one night. Well, we'll take you out. Yeah, send, send enough for the bunny bar. Bunny bar is very inexpensive. Yep. I know, but still. Yeah, it is, uh, which is quite amazing because you can get an awful lot of food there. That's true. But um, for anybody who's wondering, a bunny bar is a salad bar. You get bunny food at a salad bar. I like the bunny bar. I think we need to copyright that title. You think? The bunny bar. Yeah, bunny bar. That's good. <laughs> bunny bar. We will copyright it. That's right. So I am almost to the end of my notes here. I gave everybody, let's see, I've gone a little travel. I gave you the list of new goodies. I've got lots of old goodies. Um, so I, I know it's impossible for you to believe. It is just impossible. But I think I ran out of things to talk about. You ready to, go, you ready to call it a day? Sure. All right. So since, it's, since it's 5.30, maybe we'll, uh, I don't know, it's up to you. What would you like to do about the, the second show? It's up to you. We can keep it for next week. We can play it tonight. Well, we can keep it for next week. All right. What, we can do that. We can do that. You know? And that means? That means I need to get the theme up. And I have to say goodnight to everybody. And thank you so much for being with us and for listening to the interview with Johnny Western tonight. He was fabulous. I'm so glad he said yes and we had an opportunity to talk with him and meet him. Absolutely, it was nice. He did good, Patricia. Such a nice person. I mean, just a nice person. Visit YouTube, Johnny Western. Just put his name in there. That's his honest-to-goodness name. And it will come up. The end. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. Have a wonderful week. You too. Thanks. And we love everybody out there, and we'll talk to you soon. The masquerade Just make your mind up The piper must be paid The party's over The candles flicker and Danced and dreamed through the night It seemed to be right Just being with him Now you must wake up All dreams must end The party's over.
It's a great way for me to get callers. Yes. Yes. And I say, Bolden, are you there? <laughs> are you there or am I by myself again? <laughs> well, it's, you know, and, and, you know, and again, it, it's, it, it's so reassuring, but, but yet it, it goes to show again, at least, at least people are listening and noticing it. If it was automated programming all the time, you might not even notice it as much. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's great to have it, it is great to be online again and being able to hear hear uh, hear these things. Well, anyway, I hope both of you have a wonderful evening and we thank you and thanks for calling. First thing, have a good weekend, Walden. All right, Jim. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. There you go. I have one more piece of advertising that I would like to describe for you. Are we ready? Sure. This is a Pennsylvania railroad from 1942, advertised safety, speed, comfort, and courtesy. And they've got a graphic, and it's 
a graphic. It, it's a, a drawing. It's not a photograph of people in the dining car. And, I mean, it looks like a fabulous restaurant. It's got an aisle that's about a half an acre wide, which you know doesn't happen in a train. But it, it's kind of interesting because they had the Broadway Limited, the General, the Admiral, and the Pennsylvanian. They went from New York to Philadelphia to Chicago. That's cool. Spirit of St. Louis went from New York to Philadelphia to St. Louis, Washington, Baltimore, St. Louis. Liberty Limited, Chicago, Baltimore, Washington, the Pittsburgher, New York and Pittsburgh. This is making sense until we get to this one. The last one on the list is the Golden Triangle, Pittsburgh to Chicago. What's now, the third? I think a triangle has three points, right? No, what's the third part? Maybe New York? No, this is, <laughs> this is what's there. The Golden Triangle was Pittsburgh to Chicago. I thought that was kind of fun. Uh-huh. I like that. That's it. I like I'm that. trying to make you laugh tonight, Walden. You're, You're doing a good well. job. Well, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to drop a little ear goodie for you. <laughs> but I didn't do that. I was, I was so enthralled with the story there. I, 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 I didn't know what to say. Oh, yeah. What do you? Good answer, Walden. Oh. Good answer. <laughs> How about a little Orson Welles for you here? Okay. Here we go, everybody. The Song of Solomon. It's a love poem. The most intoxicatingly beautiful I know in all literature. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the window, showing himself through the lattice. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds is come. And the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, that art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Thy temples are like a piece of pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the Tower of David builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men, until the day break and the shadows flee away. 
I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. 